hello, welcome back. It is that time again, Memory Lane on Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I am your host, as always, Neil Helligers. Um, in our last outing together, just to catch everyone back up, Cassie brought Alex to the Wellness Retreat Center, where she apparently stayed during her pregnancy. Not that Alex knew anything about that. I guess it didn't end up in the baby book, right? So it turns out there's a lot more to her mother than Alex ever realized, but we're also learning stuff about Alex, right? Remember she had that memory about Colin where they got into an argument and she accidentally knocked him into a word from our sponsor? Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, it's so crazy how that happens. Anyway, so we are surrounded by Cassie's memories, both real and maybe not real. We're going to have to find out. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. I'm Neil Hulligers, and this is Memory Lane, Episode 7. Hello, St. Albans Medical Center. Mary speaking. How may I direct your call? Yes, hi. Um, my name is Alex. Marks. Alex Marks. I'm calling about my father, Colin Marks. Is he still in your hospital? I'm afraid all information about our patients is confidential, Miss Marks. Oh, right, right, of course. Totally. But it's just that I, I, uh... See, I live on the other side of the country... So I can't come and visit in person, and there's no way for me to know how he's doing or anything. Please. I'm desperate. Just tell me if he's still with you. Please? All right. He was discharged two days ago, in fact. Hang on, who did you say this was again? You're his daughter, you said? Hello? Miss Marks? Realm presents Memory Lane Season 1, Episode 7. Casa da Amizade Center of Health and Wellness, California, June 18. My pulse races as I hang up the phone. Shit! I mean, I'm happy I finally got answers about Colin, but I didn't think they'd discharge him yet. I wonder if there was anyone to go home to. His social media said he was divorced. I assumed he was some lonely grifter, eager to tell a few lies and hang out with a chatty girl who footed the bill for his meals. Can I really blame him for that? I shake my head. 
Colin lied to me, but that's not the point. What matters is that he's okay. I can forget about it now. Can you, though? Whispers a voice in my head. What if he decides to track you down and press charges? My head pounds. To distract myself, I pace through this unfamiliar bedroom. Cassie's bedroom. A cursory look around tells me there's not much left from Cassie's era. In fact, it reminds me more of a hotel room. There are plain, impersonal paintings on the walls. One of a chicken, another of a series of farming equipment. On the bed is a dark green comforter, which matches the pale green walls. The drawers in the simple white dresser are all empty. Nothing's hanging in the closet. Then I think of the memory that hit me when I first lay down in here. A vision of a numb Cassie scribbling in a journal and hiding it underneath her bed. It's a long shot, but I get down on my knees and feel around. At first, all I touch under the bed are fluffy balls of dust. Ugh. But then, my fingertips graze a floorboard that's slightly lower than the rest. Bingo. I glance over my shoulder at the door. It's still shut tight. I've only been in here about an hour, trying and failing to nap thanks to the worries chasing through my mind. But I'm aware that Judith or Cassie might stop in to check on me at any moment. Taking a deep breath, I dig my nails into the crevices around the board and pry it open. It takes some time, but eventually I'm able to lever it open just far enough for me to stick a hand inside. My fingertips brush something familiar. The jacket of a hardbound book. I can't believe it. I draw it out and brush it clean as best I can. My heart rises all the way into my throat. Even before I crack the cover, I know this is what I was hoping for. My mother's diary. Shavasana today. Sometimes I remember other things from before, but I know they're not real. I need to trust her process. Everything she teaches me helps more and more. The letters are scrawled in fat, dark Sharpie. I remember that Sharpie. And I remember Cassie holding this book, writing with that pen. I remember, too, Cassie running a hand over her visible bump. She wrote this after her road trip. Months after. So how am I remembering it? It's just like the memory at the lake, when I saw Cassie being drowned. It shouldn't be in my head. Dr. Novick said so himself. You shouldn't have seen that. I push his voice from my mind angrily. The next few pages are drawings not unlike the ones I unearthed in the journal I found in Cassie's closet. Birds, flowers, hands. A few pages after that, I find more text, and I wonder if it's about my father. I think of him sometimes. I know that's wrong. I'm just so hurt. She tells me again and again that it's for the best, but I just feel so lost. Some days I can still hear the hate in his final words. Other days I can feel his arms around me, his love. But she tells me those parts are lies. My brain playing tricks. There's a creak outside my door, and my head shoots up. The room is still. 
The only sounds are tree branches scraping against the windows in the breeze. But the hair on the back of my neck prickles. Is someone outside? Listening? Watching? After what feels like ages, I lower my head and flip another few pages as quietly as I can. I come to another entry. I've gotten in trouble. She says that I don't listen. That I'm not good. So I must do a ritual. She says the lake will make me stronger. It will turn me into a king snake. They eat venom to make themselves immune. And that's what she wants me to be too. Immune. Strong. King snakes? This is getting weirder and weirder. Another few pages and I find something else. Sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I don't think I can do this. Sometimes I don't think I can stay. Sometimes I think I'll die if I go. And finally, the page I've been looking for. None of this is real. 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 My mind reels. Then, I draw in a breath. Was that another creak outside? Hello? Is someone there? No answer. Biting my lip, I look down at the book once more. And then I see it. The final thing. Cassie must have written this later. It's in all capital letters at the bottom of the page. Don't trust anyone. My heart beats harder. Faster. Even though I know that's crazy, it feels like this message is speaking to me. Unnerved, I tear the pages out of the book and shove them into my pocket. Slamming the book shut, I crouch down to hide it back under the bed. But as I'm on the floor, the room spins with a now familiar sensation. Another memory's coming. Shit. I'm Cassie again. She's outside, standing on the shores of a big lake. One that I recognize. Heather Lake. It's nighttime. Figures dot the shoreline. A chill runs through me. The drowning. But it's more than just the memory making me shiver. Cassie's white dress is soaked. She's drenched head to toe, and I'm feeling the effects. She's panting and out of breath, but alive. Figures are circling around, laughing, clapping. Then someone slaps her shoulder. Congratulations! Do you feel clean? Better? Wait, were they not trying to kill her? I realize all the onlookers I saw earlier were witnesses. Like this is some kind of bizarre baptism. It does nothing to quell my nerves. Especially because that voice... The woman touching Cassie's shoulder sounds familiar. This time Cassie turns to the woman, smiling, and the moment their eyes meet, a jolt of electricity fires through me. She looks younger. In fact, at first glance, I mistake her for her daughter. For once, though, her face is crystal clear in Cassie's memory. It's Trina. From the diner. I'm sure of it. Trina's eyes sparkle in the moonlight. I take in her wet dress, her dripping hands, 
and then it hits me. Trina was the one who pushed Cassie under the lake water in the last memory. She held Cassie down while she gasped for breath. And Trina was at Heather Lake again, yesterday. Did she know we were coming? Had she sent her daughter to hunt for us? Then Dr. Novick's warning comes back to me. It's dangerous. You need to leave. Did we need to leave because of her? Why? And what does Dr. Novick know? The memory is still rolling. Trina looks down. I look down. At Cassie's round stomach. Trina's face softens. She reaches down and cups her hand around Cassie's belly. Oh, is she kicking? Peaches was a nightmare with that. I swear the kid knew exactly how to target my bladder. Peaches. Now I'm really reeling. Peyton is Peaches? Meaning both of them were on the road trip with Cassie all along? Cassie said she was with a young mother named Nina. Maybe she forgot Trina's name? They seemed close, though. I look around through Cassie's eyes, searching for Trina's husband, Peyton's father, who was on the road trip, too. I can picture him in blurry detail, light brown hair, pale skin. I don't see him anywhere. The other faces are indistinct, but the figures crowded on the shore seem to be mostly women and children, all dressed in white like Cassie and Trina. Yes, she's been more and more active lately. I just... (laughs) He's missing it all. I can't believe he'd really want to stay away this long. Not now. Beside Cassie, Trina's face darkens. You know what she told us. He's not one of us. Not anymore. I gasp, and I'm back in Cassie's bedroom. Only this time, I'm not alone. Judith is walking toward me. I scuttle back, wondering how much she's witnessed. Hopefully I haven't said anything. But her smile is sympathetic enough. Here, let me take that. She gently eases my mother's journal from my limp grasp before I can react. Your mother warned me about these spells you've been having. Are you okay? Uh... I'm worried she's going to crack open the journal and read all my mother's secrets. But she sets it on a side table without really noticing what it is. I guess so. Sure. Thanks. Judith takes my hands between hers, squeezing lightly. Come on, let's get some dinner in you. I fall into step behind her, my mind still reeling. My mom knew Trina and Peyton. They were on the road trip with her all along. And they all wound up here afterward, at Casa de Amizaj. They must have stayed at least long enough for Cassie's pregnancy to show, for me to grow strong enough to kick inside her. But what happened to the men? Just because I didn't see Trina's partner in the memory doesn't mean he's gone, per se. But my mother's companion definitely seemed to be based on what she said. That does line up with what my mother told me about how my father abandoned her. But it just doesn't fit. And none of that explains why Trina and Peyton turned up at Heather Lake yesterday. 
or why Trina didn't say anything about recognizing my mother. Peyton might have been too young to remember, but surely Trina would recognize her friend. Or, or maybe they were coerced into not saying anything. Only, by who? Hello, friend. This is Neil Helligers, host of Adrenaline Realms Thriller Channel, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit more about the Greenlight app. And this message is, of course, sponsored by Greenlight, but I was using, our family was using the Greenlight app uh, even before the first ad in a wonderful, thrilling, cosmic coincidence, right? See what I did there? So again, to catch you up, Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. Basically, the way it works is that parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving. And you can see exactly how much money they have in their account. And there's different ways to give them money. What we've been doing is on a, like a weekly allowance, a certain amount that goes into his account every week. So in order to further the conversation about money and about earning, uh, we're using Greenlight as a kind of a foundation for that conversation. Uh, in other words, instead of just the allowance he gets for a certain base things that he's expected to do around the house, uh, we are also adding the chore feature, which is certain one-time payments for certain one-time jobs. For example, in our house, we're trying to encourage our son to start walking the dog more. He's old enough for it, he's responsible enough for it, and he's done it enough that he knows what to do. So he can really see that for all those extra times that he steps up and does the dog walk, he gets rewarded for that job well done. And this is the conversation. In life, when you work a little extra harder, you get a little extra compensation and you can either save that up or spend it how you like. And we're not alone in this. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's a very easy and very convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and for families to navigate life together. So sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash adrenaline. That's greenlight.com slash adrenaline to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash adrenaline slash 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 slash. So thrilling, right? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Judith leads me around the corner to an enclosed veranda. There are potted plants assembled around its edges, a big stained glass skylight, and a dining table at the center. There are long repurposed wooden benches on either side, large enough to easily hold 15 people. Found her, she calls to Cassie, who's already sitting, ready to eat. Oh, good. Cassie smiles at me, seeming cheerful and relatively normal. Hungry? Not really. I was hoping to talk to it. You will be when you try this. I look at Cassie strangely. She just hoists a forkful of some sort of vegetable roast. Come on, pull up a chair and join us. Then I glance around the rest of the table. Two men sit near my mother, holding hands and bowing their heads in prayer. 
Across from them, an older woman in a knitted shawl eats from a bowl of porridge. But when I notice two figures at the far end of the table, I freeze, my eyes going wide. It's Peyton and Trina. I'm so shocked that I just stand there in the doorway, my legs bolted to the floor. Join us, Alex. Judith gestures to a sideboard, loaded with roasted veggies, verdant green salads, and some sort of pasta dish. My stomach growls at the sight, but I don't move. I'm pretty sure if I try to eat, it will just come straight back up. Um, I can't handle this. No, thank you. At the far end of the table, Trina is busy eating. But Peyton sees me, and she jumps up from her chair. Alex, isn't this funny? I didn't know you knew Judith, too. I take a step back, toward the door. Is she lying? I think about Cassie playing tag with Peyton in the Redwoods, and my stomach twists. Because even if Peyton was too young to remember, Trina must. And yet she's sitting there, not saying a word. Alex, are you alright? She looks kind of pale. Cassie! I turn to my mother. Can I speak to you, please? In private. Cassie tilts her head, peering up at me as if I'm the one acting weird. Honey, whatever you have to say, surely it can wait until after dinner. It's important. Please. It's okay. Judith places a hand on Cassie's shoulder. Go to the kitchen. It's private. Finally, Cassie gives a reluctant sigh and rises to her feet. I lead her back through the door. But I don't wait until we reach the kitchen. The minute the dining room doors close, I whirl on her. Don't you recognize those women? Cassie frowns. Are you all right? Oh, that girl's right. You do look pale. I'm fine. Just freaked out. That girl... She's the same one we met at Heather Lake this afternoon. Peyton. And her mother, Trina. Don't you recognize them? Oh, of course. Cassie waves a hand. We talked. They used to live here with Judith, too, years ago. They still come up for meals sometimes. <laughs> now that I think about it, I might remember Trina a little. You should! I want to shake her shoulders. She was on the road trip with you. You called her Nina, though. Peyton was Peaches, the little girl. Cassie's forehead scrunches slightly, and she blinks hard. She did look a bit familiar. How wonderful. A bit familiar? My head feels like it's exploding. You lived with her here at Casa de Amizaj after your road trip. For months. And I saw this initiation thing. Trina pushed you underwater in Heather Lake held you down until you started to scream. What? Oh, come on, honey. My memories are spotty, but I would remember that. But I saw it. Every single detail. There were other people all dressed in white, too. And it must have happened a while after the road trip because you were showing. The baby... I was kicking inside you. I felt it. Cassie squints at me more closely, as if she's worried. Alex... You aren't making any sense. The only memories Remy transferred were my memories from the road trip. Two weeks worth. She presses the back of her hand to my forehead. Are you sick? I swat her hand away. Ugh, I just need you to listen. 
But then the door to the veranda opens. I tense as Judith peers out. Everything all right, ladies? Go away! I want to snap, but Cassie simpers. We're fine. Alex is just a little confused. Maybe you could help her, Mama. Figure out what's going on in her head. Judith looks delighted. I'd be happy to talk to you, Alex. No, a voice in my head tells me. Because all at once, I'm not sure Judith is a good person either. I need to get out of here. Off their property. I can't tell what's real anymore and what's made up. Who I should be afraid of. And as my mother looks at me with trepidation, I start to worry. Maybe I do need help. Actually, I... I need some air. I move almost without thinking. Behind me, Cassie and Judith both call my name. Alex? Alex. But I don't Alex. slow down. Alex. Their voices Alex. tangle together Alex. in my head, Alex. ringing against my eardrums, joined by the goddamn incessant humming of that horrible generator. At the main entrance, I wrench open the front doors to Casa de Amizaj, burst out onto the porch, and skid to a halt. Peyton is leaning against a banister, a stim in hand. A shiver goes through me. How did she get out here so quickly? Am I losing time? Peyton smiles at me as though nothing is amiss. Hey, I just came out here to get some air and, well... She shakes the stim with a wry look. Mom doesn't approve. She's showered since her hike earlier, but she still looks just as flushed, healthy, and happy. Yet she's fiddling with her stim in an all-too-familiar way. The same way I fiddle with mine when I'm anxious. You and your mom, you've lived here a long time? Since I was six. Judith took mom in when we had nowhere else to go. Kind of like your mom too, I guess. She tosses her stim in the air, catches it easily. I try not to watch her hands. So tan and deft looking. I wish she wasn't so damn cute. It would make walking away from her right now easier. I have no idea who I can trust, but I want to believe she's innocent in all this. That's getting harder, though, the more entwined our pasts turn out to be. Isn't it crazy that our mothers were here together? It's as if Peyton is reading my thoughts. Once Cassie told me, I remembered her. She wasn't blonde back then, had darker hair, and she was pregnant. Her eyes crinkle. I'm guessing with you. Peyton, from the corner of my eye, I notice curtains flutter inside the house. A shadow looks out at us, too far away for me to guess who it is. Judith? Trina? You said you were six when Cassie was here? Yes. Do you remember anyone else with her? A young man with dark hair and a beard? Around my mother's age. They were together. He played with you both. In the forest, Peyton's face clouds. Her eyes dart, but there's a look of recognition on her face. Maybe she knows something. Please, I think he was my father. But before Peyton can answer, the front door opens. You girls all right out here? Judith calls through the opening. I jump about a foot in the air, and Peyton steadies me with one hand on my elbow. Just that simple contact sends a jolt through me, 
and my stomach tightens. I can't afford this right now. Just fine. After a moment, Judith shuts the door again. I take a step closer to Peyton, unsure how much time we have before she checks on us again. Is Judith monitoring this conversation? Why? I, I don't know him at all. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Peyton's a total stranger. I still don't know if I can trust her. But I can't just drop this. If you remember something, anything, please tell me. Peyton pulls her bottom lip into her mouth. I remember someone. He used to play tag with me. Had the most contagious laugh. She lowers her eyes. But I was so young, I'm probably misremembering. Because according to my mother... There's another creak from behind us. Judith, hovering behind the door, I'm sure. According to your mother, what? Was he a bad person? Did he hurt my mother? Why did he leave? Alex, I don't know any of those things. I'm really sorry. Did you know his name, at least? I can't help it. Peyton's expression melts into something resembling pity. I'm sorry, I really don't. And then she glances worriedly back toward the house. I should probably check on my mom. I press my hands over my eyes. Every time I've tried to find out more about my father, it's only made me feel worse. I turn toward the driveway and start to walk, not even sure where I'm going. I need space to clear my head. Not to mention, I'd love to get far enough away from that damn noisy generator to hear myself think. But the more I move, the more I see flashes of the memories I've experienced. They're like pieces of a puzzle, knocking around my skull, begging me to connect the dots. Cassie running through the trees with Peyton, giggling. Trina pushing Cassie underwater, the lake closing over her head. Cassie kneeling beside a metal table with a still figure draped all in white atop it. That voice. I need to tell you something, Cassie, about her. I turn off the driveway onto a narrow path. Before long, I'm leaping over the roots underfoot, scrabbling through crunchy dry leaves. The generator hum is a little less deafening out here, muffled by all these tree trunks and low-hanging branches. Branches that snag at my hair, scratch my cheeks. I barely notice. My father is there. He's inside my head. If I work hard enough, maybe I can dredge up another memory. One where I'll see his face, as clearly as I saw Trina's last time. I shut my eyes. Try to breathe. I picture the Mexican restaurant parking lot. The bench at the amusement park. Gray eyes, dark hair. Just show me a face. Nothing. Scowling, I start to walk again. I dodge a particularly thorny bush, jump a fallen log, and then let out a startled yelp as I run smack into a solid, tall body. Before I can do more than yelp, one hand clamps around my shoulders, the other over my mouth. Just in time to muffle my scream. When I wheel around, confusion makes my head swim. It's him. His hair has gone silver around the edges, but is still a rich, dark brown underneath. 
He's clean-shaven now, but I can picture him with a beard. Are you real? I want to ask, because I must be hallucinating. There's absolutely no way my father would materialize in these woods just because I want him to. Alex, it's me. You're safe. My vision sharpens, and I draw in a breath. I was wrong. Everything is wrong. This isn't my father. I can't believe who I'm seeing. Okay, well, um, a lot just happened. Um, there is still one more episode of Memory Lane, but um, just to review, um, now we finally know who Trina and Peyton are, the mother and daughter from Cassie's past. I guess that's clear now. I also, I love the follow-up to the, you finally find that diary that you saw your mom writing, none of this is real in. And what does it say at the end? It says, don't trust anyone. I mean, it's the perfect epilogue, right? And of course we get another run at my favorite game of who is Dr. Novik and what secrets does he have now? So, but we're gonna have to wait until next time to see exactly what he has has to say. So I will see you right here for episode eight of Memory Lane. I'm Neil Helligers, and this is Adrenaline. Take care. You've been listening to Memory Lane on Adrenaline, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown. Memory Lane is a Realm original production, written by Sarah Shepard and Ellen Goodlett. Produced by Rhoda Belleza and Haley Wagreich. And executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Emily Wu Zeller, Leanne Marie Dobbs, Chris Coolia, Elliot Schiff, Cherie Wichard, Tiana Camacho, and Kaylin West. Audio produced and directed by Amanda Rose Smith. Sound design and editing by Kaylin West. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Amanda Rose Smith, with digital orchestration by Andrew Rowan and Max Kuttner. Music supervision by Amy Parker. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Adrenaline is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Neil Helligers. Audio editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Marcus Begala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Adrenaline by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.